welcome to Freelance Party Broadcast, the podcast brought to you by Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers. I'm Faye and this is Jeff. Hiya! Today we are joined by Giles Hamlin, who's an information security consultant at Protection Group International. Can we start with a basic introduction to GDPR for someone who has absolutely no idea what GDPR is? What does it stand for? What does it mean? And let's make GDPR as fun as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's have a go. So um, the GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation. And what it is is actually the world's strongest data protection regulation. Um, Broadly speaking, it covers the whole of Europe. And it came into force on May the 25th, 2018. And essentially, if you're a freelancer and you process information, sadly, you're going to want to know about it. (laughs) So is it as dry as it sounds? (laughs) I'm going to give you um, a diplomatic answer here. (laughs) Um, I think the GDPR is a very big regulation. And I think what makes it interesting is that a lot of edge cases, there are a lot of, um, nothing is particularly straightforward. But then when you boil it down um, to its minimum components, it's actually quite logical. And you can actually achieve GDPR compliance without too much pain. So what is the bare minimum a freelancer should do to comply with GDPR then? Okay, so fundamentally, the GDPR is all about protecting the rights of the individual. Um, That's why it exists. And so the first thing that a freelancer should do is actually understand what information they collect. So by that, you look at the information you collect, you, you look at why you collect it, what exactly it is that you have, and how long you'll need it for. Once a freelancer's done that, they will assess the risks of holding that information, and that could be the risk to the individual and the risk to themselves, and determine whether they're confident that the information's stored securely. So when, when you talk about information, like we all hold on to names and numbers and email addresses when we meet people at networking events. Is it that kind of information that we need to like concern ourselves about when it comes to GDPR? Or what, what do you mean by information? Absolutely. I think particularly um, as a freelancer, you need to be aware of all the information you collect. Now, some information is going to be more sensitive than other information. So you may have heard um, data referred to as personal data or sensitive data. And these are specific categories of specific types of information. And depending on what the information is, it dictates how you would be expected by the law to treat that um, as we go back to protect the individual. Right, okay. So before we recorded this, I was like, right, I'm going to look up to see what personal sensitive data is. And I'm still not completely clear. So what is personal sensitive data? And is there a type of data or information that people don't realise is sensitive or personal? So um, we're going to give you the textbook answer, first of all. Great. Every day is a school day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is. So um, the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, they define personal data as information that relates to an identified or identifiable individual. What does this mean? Essentially, any piece of information that I could use to identify an individual is likely to be personal data. Okay. So that could be your first name and your surname. It could also be an email address, an ID number, maybe a password number, anything that we can link directly back to an individual. Now, there is also a category of data called sensitive data. This is data that should be treated with a little bit of extra care and um, a little bit of extra security as its disclosure is more likely to cause harm to an individual. Um, so examples of this could be um, biometric data, 
data around an individual's health conditions, even their political opinions and trade union membership. Ah, so like when you had those big data breaches of what that like a fair website, that's that that sensitive oh data. Gosh. Do you remember that? Yeah, Ashley Madison. <laughs> yeah, was that the name? Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine people having extramarital affairs would be considered fairly sensitive. Yeah, yeah let's definitely. Just, let's just hope there aren't any freelancers holding on to that kind of data. <laughs> we can't help there. Nope. <laughs> so how do freelancers know when they are doing enough? I think broadly speaking, you have to be satisfied that you're taking the appropriate steps to protect the rights of the individual. And you do that by being aware of what information you collect and by taking adequate steps to protect it. So this could be as simple as not leaving your client data on the bus on a USB stick. So you would want to handle information in a good way to ensure that doesn't happen. Um, you might want to make sure that any systems that you use that store information on have a up-to-date virus checker on and um, a firewall. And what's really interesting is these steps that you're taking to protect information also help you because if you lose all of your information overnight and you don't have adequate backups, that's going to have as much of an impact on your business and your livelihood as it is on the individual whose information you've lost. I remember in 2018 when this actually like came into place and it had been heard of before it actually came around in 2018 and people were aware of it but it wasn't until that date that everyone just panicked and everyone was like oh my gosh it's going to be us and putting all of these like rules into place but realistically GDPR has been around for a long time just a lot of people haven't addressed it as it hasn't been as strict as it is now. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I think that, you know, data protection laws have existed for a lot longer than GDPR. I think what GDPR did was obviously formalise this, make the regulations a lot stronger than they maybe once were. And I think it certainly sort of captured the hearts and minds. And certainly awareness is not such a bad thing. Like I said, I feel we keep going back to this point, but it is at the end of the day about protecting the rights of the individual mm. and having an increased awareness of this and working in these ways. It can't be a bad thing. Definitely, because as a consumer, you don't want spam email. That's my main thing. When GDPR came into place and they were asking me if they could have my data, I was like, no, I don't want your spam email anymore. I finally had an excuse to get rid of it. <laughs> I know that was, um, that was actually one of the... Um, the good side effects of this mm. suddenly everybody who'd been mailing me for six years actually asked if it was okay to do so yeah it's a good way because you never want to click unsubscribe it's just that it's a bit of a pain isn't it click through all of them yeah, now it's too yeah. many it was almost like a nice little inbox refresh yeah <laughs> and this, this is an interesting point you've raised because it, it's one of consent and i think historically a lot of the people who may have been sending you spam emails you may be receiving these without ever remembering agreeing to them and that's because a lot of the time when you filled a web form in, there'd be a little box at the bottom and it would mm. say, we're going to send you information. Is this okay? And you'd find you got a little tick in that box. So there you go. You go on, do your shopping, whatever, and then you're on 8,000 different mailing lists. Now, what GDPR introduced was the um, concept of implied consent and explicit consent. So we can no longer do that in that if you want to market to somebody, you can present them with the box and you can say, if you tick this box, I'm going to send you my marketing emails, my updates and promotional offers. But what you can't do is you can't tick that box for them because if you do that, that's considered implied consent and that's a big no-no. Yeah, that's really good to know. I hadn't noticed that, but now you say it, that makes complete sense that that's a thing that happens now that might not have always happened. Yeah. 
So one thing I've been thinking about, I just wondered, like we always see in the news about mm. uh, so-and-so companies had a big data breach and are you affected, all of this. And I never know if I am or if I'm not really. Yeah, that's true. But you see it in the headlines and I know it can differ, but when people say, oh, there's been a data breach, what kind of data is that normally? Is it the personal kind, the sensitive kind? What is it? What normally happens in the event of a breach is someone has managed to access the customer database of a company and pull out a huge blob of information and then they spend a few weeks sort of filtering through it and cleaning it up and then they basically have a database of all their clients. Now, in terms of is it personal data, most likely yes, because it will contain names, email addresses. It will sometimes contain more sensitive information as well, but this depends on how well the company has encrypted that data in the first place. So to go back to where we talked about what can you do to be prepared for GDPR, if you encrypt your data, if you do the right things to look after your data, if you do have a breach, it kind of lessens the impact of it in a way. Um, I think what's really interesting is that I know certainly back in the, the earlier days of the internet, we all tended to have one password. We used it on every website because that was really easy to remember. But now, um, as we're seeing data breaches becoming more and more commonplace, in some breaches, they're actually able to look at what password you set. So if you've used that password somewhere else, like an online banking website, they've got your email address, they've got the password, and the first thing they can do is um, pop onto the website, type your details in, and see if it lets them in. So your key takeaway from this, if, if nothing else, is to try and use a different password for every single website that you sign up for. Oh, wow. Gosh. Following from what you just said about um, these data breaches, mm. um, they're kind of the ones that affect the big businesses, aren't they? The big companies. But when you're a freelancer, you often work on your own. And I think, therefore, you might be more prone to actually make the mistake yourself and make the breach. So whether it's like one that's happened to me is where um, someone has sent me an email, but has accidentally put all the other people who they're emailing in the two columns. So you can see who everyone, mm. who you're... Yeah, so I think that's like a way. But I just wondered, like, what are like common GDPR mistakes that freelancers or people make? So I I think on a smaller scale, it is the um, sort of leaving the information, you know, in the public place on the back of a bus or something. Actually sending a mailer out to your clients and putting the emails in two rather than BCC is a really, really common um, mistake as well. And um, I think when you get these sort of breaches, the key to them is sort of looking at what might happen. And this is where we go back to where we assess the risk of the information we hold and determining what little steps you can put in place to sort of mitigate that risk. So, for example, you might want to use a CRM rather than manually emailing all of your clients. Right. You may want to encrypt information. So if it ever does um, sort of leave your possession, it's encrypted so it's not immediately readable by anybody who might sort of pick it up. So at its heart, this is fundamentally what the GDPR is about, understanding what information you collect, what the risks of you holding it are, and what steps you can put in place to mitigate that risk. So what happens if you do have a data breach and what are the repercussions, like what happens next? Okay, so I think the first thing that you want to do if you have a breach is you want to determine the severity of the breach. So um, by that I mean what data has been breached, and this goes back to looking at whether it's personal sensitive data, and how many individuals have been affected. 
Now, the reason you want to do this is because the GDPR states that certain types of personal data breach need to be reported back to the relevant supervisory authority. So within the UK, that's the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and you need to do that within 72 hours. So what you would first want to do is just, as I said, look at the scale of the breach, look at what's been breached, and then you could pop onto the ICO website and they can advise you whether you're required to report the breach to them. So there is a set of criteria based on the number of individuals affected and what type of information has been breached. That's so interesting. I'd never know, especially if you just left a notebook on the bus or something or your bag gets stolen. The last thing you'd think of is, oh, did I have someone's email address and number? And you wouldn't think that there would be such a big impact from that. And would that be like a business card as well? So if you left a business card on a bus or something like that too? I think... There's a fairly low impact because what we're looking at is the impact of the individual. And, you know, if we know that you're um, Joe Smith and you work at Acme Incorporated, I think that's considered fairly public knowledge that you actually work there. So whilst the name is certainly personal data, I think if you look at the context of the breach and the size of the risk to that individual, it doesn't really do him any harm by somebody finding that card and finding out that he, he works there. It's it's no more than looking on LinkedIn and seeing that he works at that, yeah. that company. So and, and this is why it's really key if you do have a breach to go onto the ICO website because they, they give really, really clear guidelines as to what's considered a breach that needs to be reported. And um, it's actually really helpful because it gives some really useful advice with how to deal with the fallout of a breach as well. So that would certainly be one of my first places that I would jump on to. One question that I had was in my previous role, there was a lot of like salesmen that used to work among us as well. But we used to get a lot of like telephone calls about people selling data. And a lot of them like you'd kind of like hear about it and then you'd say like, oh, is it GDPR compliant? But how is that even GDPR compliant? Like how can someone sell someone's data and that be GDPR compliant? I think they're in a very grey area there. And they'd also need to um, look at a regulation in addition to the GDPR called PECR, which is the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations. Mm. And this is a separate set of regulations around marketing communications, the use of cookies on websites and and that kind of thing. And certainly if there is um, sort of any sort of marketing involved, those will come into play about how you actually use that information. Mm. So, I mean, without knowing the specifics of it and knowing what individuals have consented to what it's a very difficult question to answer but by the sounds of it it, it's a little bit murky Mm, i thought the same (laughs) so what i know we've like said about you what you can do if you have a data breach you know you can go to the ico website and have a look there but in terms of protecting yourself against a gdpr breach can you get insurance or what are the kind of steps to make sure you are compliant yes you can Um, you can get cyber insurance it's actually quite useful protection um, in the event of a breach because quite often you'll find that your liability insurance won't cover all of the costs associated with the data breach right so it's a little bit extra Um, what i would say about cyber insurance i mean and i think this applies to any type of insurance it's really important to check what it covers as this can vary from policy to policy um, in terms of the amount it protects you for and also the conditions of doing so. I think as well, many cyber insurance policies require you to fulfil some prerequisites. 
So these are usually around the way you handle the information and, and your security. So it is really important to dig into the small print and understand exactly what the insurer expects of you to avoid invalidating the um, cyber insurance. That's so interesting. I feel like I have a good understanding now of what to do if I ever had a data breach. I'd go on the ICO website. <laughs> it's a really good first step. Yeah. Um, but it, basically, do what you would want someone to do for you. So determine how severe it is, notify the individuals and take any steps you can to mitigate the effects of that breach. Would that be your top tip then? Do what you would want someone to do for you? Yeah. It's a nice tip. It's like, do as you would be done by, isn't it? Yeah. Be excellent to one another. Yeah. (laughs) Just be kind. So now we have some questions sent in from freelancers. So firstly, from Katie, I send a newsletter to hundreds of people every week and store their data on a CRM. I have genuine nightmares about accidentally leaking their personal data. Is there any way that I can send mass marketing emails in a GDPR compliant way? I think that's a really good question. And um, I think we need to go back to what we talked about previously, which is the um, PCR, the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations, because they will also apply. And um, they apply to you if you market by phone, email, text or fax, use cookies or a similar technology on your website, or compile a public directory of information. So they would certainly come into play here. So I think the first thing that I would advise Katie to do is read up on that as well as GDPR if she has concerns around this. Um, The other thing about the PECR that's interesting is that it applies even if you're not processing personal data. So it's designed to protect companies as well as individuals. So it's particularly pertinent for this question. On the topic of the CRM, what wasn't clear was whether Katie's CRM is actually on-premise or cloud-based. So on-premise means that Katie is holding the information herself, whereas cloud-based is where it's held remotely by a third party on Katie's behalf. So that's like a different software CRM? It could be any CRM product that stores the information with them rather than on your hard disk. Right, okay. So if Katie is using an on-premise CRM, she may want to consider going with a CRM supplier who will actually look after the information on her behalf. Um, That takes a a little bit of responsibility away from her. Although um, it's interestingly that she is still considered to be a data controller, so she still has an obligation to ensure that whoever she's using would be processing the information correctly. And what she would really want in a cloud-based CRM are several features, uh, one of which being subscription management to give users the opportunity to withdraw consent, data management, which would allow her to provide information to the individuals if they requested it from her, and also consent management. As we talked earlier about implied consent and explicit consent, the CRM would need to provide um, a method of consent for her clients that is compliant with the GDPR. So I think in terms of her consent and in terms of the the clients that she is sending mailers to, if she's actually already marketed to these clients and she's sending information out about a similar service or product, then she doesn't really need to obtain their consent to continue to market to them, although she would need to remove them if they asked. If it's a brand new customer, then she does need to ensure that she obtains consent before sending mailings out to them. Because mm, is that to do with like legitimate interest and things like that? Yes, so she would have a legitimate interest if she's already worked with somebody and she's already provided them with a service. Yeah. Um, but if she's just gone through the phone book and decided to send mails out to the first 500 people, probably not a legitimate interest. 
Another question that was sent in to us that was quite interesting was from Sergio, who asked, will Brexit affect GDPR? That's a really, really, really good question. <laughs> Not only are we talking about GDPR today, we're also talking about Brexit. <laughs> yeah. But he's managed Hybrid. to fit in a four-word question the word Brexit and GDPR. <laughs> I know, there's Shivers. a couple of hornet's nests that need a good <laughs> kicking, right? <laughs> Okay, so um, as far as we understand, um, EU law has been enshrined in UK law as part of the Withdrawal Act. And so GDPR now falls under a category of law called EU retained law. What does that mean? Essentially, business as usual. The GDPR law is our law and we should adhere to it. There's no reason to suggest that anything will change with that in the immediate future. But it is worth keeping an eye on negotiations as it has recently been suggested that the UK may adopt a more lenient approach to data protection as part of their US trade deal negotiations. So that may have implications for the GDPR, but I think it's way too early to tell at the moment. So I just had a question on that quickly. If there are changes to um, GDPR or any kind of data regulations, how would freelancers know about it? Is it something where... um, you would just know because you watch it on the news and you'd have to keep an eye out for it? Or are businesses informed? I think if it's something on that scale, it's most likely to be on the news at some point or the other. Um, But freelancers can always refer back to the ICO website who will keep them abreast with the latest changes. In addition, you know, they can call us. We're happy to have a discussion with them. Um, Anyone can just give us a call if they want a quick chat and we'll let them know what we feel about things and point them in the right direction. So, um, but I'd imagine with a change of that magnitude, you would certainly expect to see that in a newspaper, on the telly, that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you do want to take Giles up on a quick chat about GDPR and where you stand, he is, just as a reminder, he is at the Protection Group International. So um, give them a call if you want to. But that's it for this episode, unfortunately. You will be able to find a lot of information in the show notes below and on Freelance Corner. Join Freelance Corner. It's the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk. You can also subscribe to Freelance Party Broadcast on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favourite podcast platform. Please like, share, and leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And let us know what we should quiz an expert on next time. Thanks, Giles. Thank you. <laughs>